going to try to finish this little section of Hebrews that is giving me a fit. <laughs> uh, verses 19 through 25. I'm not going to the next part because uh, I really don't want to talk to you too much about what happens when you willfully sin because I don't need you to be sin conscious. How about that? So I might talk a little bit about it, but I ain't going there as a topic because I feel like if we stay there too long, uh, you'll start to rationalize and justify, and I don't want you doing any of that. So we're going over the same verses again. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, Hebrews 10, Therefore, brethren, having the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. <clears throat> let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another uh, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assemblings of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And last week we talked to you about entering and abiding in the presence of God. And this is part two of that, entering and abiding in the presence of God. Uh, I need you to understand it's one thing for us to enter into the presence of God. But if we go right back out again, we haven't prospered or profited at all. Once you enter into the presence of God, you should remain there. You should remain there. And that's what we want to talk about today, how we just go in and stay there in the presence of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you. We praise you for this day. We thank you for every blessing that you prepared for your people in this day. God, we thank you right now for your miraculous healing that's taking place even as we speak. God, we ask you to touch these bodies. Examine them, God. Make them complete, whole, and lacking nothing. Let them function the way that you created them in the beginning, and we thank you for it. Order our minds and our thoughts so that we can do what you've called us to do. God, touch our hearts so that we can love one another the way that you have commanded us to love one another. So, God, we thank you for it. We thank you for every man and woman that's breaking the bread of life around the world. Add a blessing to their words in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. <coughs> Let's start by talking about uh, something that we all remember, um, Adam's sin. One of the things that Adam uh, did by sinning is he shut the door to the presence of God. In other words, when Adam sinned, God uh, uh, shut man off in terms of his free access to the presence of God. Uh, notice that when Adam sinned, God put him out of the garden. And then he put a, 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 a cherub there to guard the gate or the door so that Adam go, couldn't go back in. You know, the one thing that we learn is that after you've sinned, you remember what it was like before. Hello, somebody. See, we have a tendency to think, oh, my. We have a tendency to think that uh, everything's going to be all right. But the very first thing that happens to us as believers when we sin 
is we recall what it was like just before. And if you're really a good Christian, you should have some remorse at that point in time. But Genesis chapter 3 verse 24 says that God drove the man out and placed the cherubim at the east gate of the garden uh, with a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now the Bible teaches us that that tree of life uh, had to be protected. And of course, if, uh, if, if, if Adam had access to it, then, then he probably could have lived forever. Amen? Now, the Bible teaches us that after Adam's sin, there uh, had to be a remedy for sin. And if you look in Genesis chapter 3, you'll find that the first sign of that remedy, of course, was that he slayed some animals and made tunics for Adam and Eve. And the Bible teaches us that while Adam and Eve were being clothed, that the blood of those slain animals was still in the tunic. So he said that there's no remission for sin unless there's a shedding of blood. So an innocent animal had to die, and Adam was reminded that blood was required for every sin. Amen? So the Bible says that today it is the blood of Jesus Christ that is able to quench the fiery sword so that man can enter back into the presence of God. So verse 20 tells us, and this is what we want to look at. Bible says that there is a new and living way. Uh, the old way didn't get us in. A lot of people are still in the old covenant kind of religion where you uh, never really enter into the presence of God. Some of us are still kind of Old Testament saints. What does that mean? I get close to people who get close to God. Y'all know what I'm saying? I get close to people who get close to God, but I personally never get close enough. Amen? And this is why the Bible talks about when you say you are saved, when you are born again, it is a, a personal experience and a personal relationship with God that we're talking about. You can't get in based on my experience. That's why it's difficult for you to always quote what somebody else went through and use that as the basis for your hope. Amen. You have to have your own individual telemade experience so that you know God for yourself. Amen. So the Bible says it's a new and living way. And that new way, he says, is through the veil. And we explain this to you that uh, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51 teaches us that uh, when Jesus was on the cross and he died, the Bible says when he died, uh, the veil was rent from top to bottom as a symbol of his flesh being torn. And that opening of his flesh and the releasing of the blood of Jesus Christ presented a new way into the presence of God. Now, what we understand is that this, this new way, this new uh, method of entering into the presence of God uh, has to do with a new kind of sacrifice. Now, Jeremiah talks about a new covenant, and that new covenant talks about uh, a different kind of new than what we're used to. Uh, somebody said a new, new. You don't know what that means, a new, new. Well, the word new uh, comes from two different kinds of words. 
One, of course, is Neos, and the other one is Canus. Okay, you don't need to know all that, right? <laughs> okay, here's what it says, is that there's a new that is different and a new that is first in order. When you say something is new, it means that something can be different. This is brand new. I've never seen anything like this. Or it can be new because this is the first of its kind. Neos Canis. Amen? But the Bible teaches us that when Jesus took his blood in, the Bible talks of a new covenant that uses a word that we have not seen before nor after. And the word, of course, is prosphatus. And that means that new, when we talk about it, you want me to spell it for you? P-R-O-S-P-H-E-T-O-S. Okay? And the literal meaning of that word, prosphatus, it means newly slaughtered. So when the Bible says that we are entering in, in a new and living way, it means that we're entering in based on the newly slaughtered sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ, which makes us even more confused because now we're saying that we enter into the presence of God based on a new living sacrifice that we just killed. Amen? So the Bible says that that new means it's freshly slaughtered, but it also means that the blood of Jesus Christ not only was the, the, the blood of the sacrifice that was cleansing for all of us, but the Bible says that that blood never stops flowing. So the Bible teaches us that even when this was written in, in Hebrews, the, the Bible was probably talking about 30-some years after Jesus was uh, already killed. But we also understand that 2,000 years later, that blood is still freshly slaughtered. Every time a new saint comes to Christ, it's fresh, it's new again. The blood, as we say, will never. Ha, huh, I love that. I love that. So the Bible says that we come to Jesus and we come to Jesus and we're made alive again. So notice this, that not only is Jesus alive, but because he was resurrected, and this speaks of the resurrection, that when he was born again, when he rose from the grave, he carried his own blood. So he had to be alive to carry his blood. And then the Bible says that because we are products of that blood, that we too enter alive. Whoa, wait a minute. We enter alive. We enter alive. That's why the Bible says that we in Romans says that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Are y'all still with me? So the Bible teaches us then uh, um, when we talk about a living sacrifice and it gets to be a little different. It's not that difficult, but sometimes we, we make it difficult. And I think we do that purposely. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, 
Uh, let me show you this. I love this. Ephesians chapter 1. <coughs> it says in verse 4, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame uh, before him in love. Verse 5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons. So before the foundation of the world, before the world was even formed, God had already prepared a way for us to enter into the presence of God. Are y'all seeing this? But the Bible says that when a man is born again, when he is saved, when he acknowledges Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now, the Bible teaches us something real quick. And, 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 and at the risk of going off here, I want to stay on track so I can get through this. Salvation is a very simple process, but we complicate it. And I say this often because I believe that a lot of people believe they're saved. They really do believe they're saved, but they're not. And how's, how do we know? Well, the real, the, the real process of salvation is simple. The Bible says that when a man has heard the gospel, believes the gospel he heard, and confesses that Jesus of the gospel that he heard, and then acts on the gospel that he heard and believes it by confessing who that Jesus is, he's saved. Now, Pastor, that, that's what we say when we do the prayer of salvation. Well, the problem is, is that we need to understand that once we say that we're saved, the Bible says there must be evidence. There must be evidence. There must be evidence. If there is no evidence, then there's no proof that you believe what you said or even understood what you heard or not even being able to act upon what you heard and believe. So the key to salvation is the response. It's the response. If people don't respond appropriately, they never really enter into the fullness of God. So we're still going through the high priest to get to God. We don't enter in ourselves because we don't acknowledge the fullness of who God is. Well, Pastor, how do I know? How, how, how do I know if I'm saved? You know, people, they say they know they're saved because, well, I go to church. I'm a member of the church. <sighs> now, let's keep in mind something. No one was any closer to Christ than Judas. And yet, there was no evidence. Are y'all still with me? So, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that in James chapter 2, he says that faith without works Now, so we're saying that we want to be a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice says that when I was in the world, I was dead, spiritually dead, spiritually dead. When the Bible says that I am spiritually dead, it's like being physically dead. The Bible says that if you are physically dead, you do not respond to natural stimuli. 
Are y'all with me? If you are physically dead, then no matter what anyone does to you, has no effect on you. If you are spiritually dead, if you are spiritually dead, you do not respond to spiritual stimuli. It means that, listen now, this is what's so important. It means that if you are spiritually dead, it means that you don't respond to God. You don't have a sense of who God is. You don't believe that God can or he has the power to or that he will. So if you are spiritually dead, you cannot respond appropriately to God. Are you still with me? So when we look at salvation, it means that when I am born again, when I'm born again, then the way in has been opened and I can now receive God, believe God, and respond to the Holy Spirit when he gives me instructions and direction. If you are a saint who has a lot of regret, you're probably not saved. Because Romans said there is now no condemnation. One of the things that the Bible teaches us here in, in Hebrews 10 is that there must be a cleansing from a guilty conscience. If I am still feeling guilty about past sins, then I haven't gotten over. Come on, y'all. There's so much we haven't gotten over. It is impossible for you to live in what happened in the past. If you don't get over it, you can't move ahead. So the Bible says that if I am born again, then I am a living sacrifice and I live forever. Watch this now. The Bible says then in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. Somebody get that for us. Ephesians 2 and 4. Read the next verse. Even when you were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. Okay, now watch this. God is so rich in his mercy that he loved you that even when you were what? Dead, dead, dead in sin and trespass, he still did what? What's that word he used? But he's a word quicken, right? Quicken. Quicken means to make alive. So even after you were in the world, <laughs> does anybody understand what you did in the world? And maybe that's what's wrong with folks. Folks say, well, oh, well, I did it. No, 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 no. All you did was sin. It doesn't make any difference what the sin was. You, you sin. Okay? Don't try to identify. Don't, don't enumerate. And, and, and don't try to evaluate. You just sin. All right? And the Bible said you were dead in your sin. So you were dead to spiritual stimuli. You didn't respond to God. You did not respond to God. Now, how do I know you didn't respond to God? 
you know how people get in trouble and you try to sit down and talk to them and you say, okay, now listen, okay, this is a problem, but we can fix it. Oh, but pastor, you just don't know. So you're still dead because you won't respond. That's not a proper response. That's a negative response. Now, here's one thing about the devil. Let me tell y'all something. I know y'all don't understand this. The devil is not a perpetual offender. He is a one-time offender. All he has to do is get you to break the law. If you, listen, if you get to the edge of the Empire State Building, listen now, and then you mysteriously fall over. The devil didn't do that. No, you broke the law of gravity, and you're going to die. You understand that? Huh? You can't say, well, it was an accident. Somebody pushed me. It was murder. Why are you up there? No, no, no. Listen, how did you get there? The works of the flesh are perpetual, but the devil, he, once he gets you, he's gone. In other words, you can stand on that edge if you want, but, but listen... The forces are already in motion. Because if the wind blows right, you're gone. And see, most people, that's why I didn't want to get into that willful sin, because most people say, well, I, I don't know how I got in this mess. Come on. How? No, let me change. How stupid do you think I am? You don't know how you got in there. You don't know how you got in there. Well, I just, you know, I, I got in the car. I'm just going to take a ride. I mean, all the while, your mom said, Don't get in that car. And I got to tell you, don't get in the car with strangers. Right. Well, he looked nice. <laughs> no. And then when it's all said, I don't know how I got because you were dead. People who are dead, listen, who are spiritually dead, these are people who bounce from one bad decision to another. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's not a person who makes one, but they bounce from bad decision bad decision to bad decision because they can't hear God. But then the Bible says that Jesus reached down and he quickened you and he made you alive. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus touched you, he turned your heart and all of a sudden you said, okay, uh, well, let me go back to the notes, because there's a, there's, there's a, there, there. <laughs> Ooh, there's something I think we have on this, we can put on the screen. Let me find it here. There it is, right there. 
I'll see if they can follow me here. <laughs> I'm on page. No. <laughs> I'm teasing. But here's what it says here. Uh, three points. And, and you'll go down the notes. You'll find it. It says, first of all, when it comes to, to, to walking in faith, believing God, there must be a felt need. That's number one. There must be a felt need. If you don't need Jesus, you're never going to find him. Must be a felt need. Uh, when, you, when you sense that you need something different in your life, that's the beginning. Everybody's been there. You know what I'm talking about? Where you feel like, you know what, I, I, I just can't live like this another day. You know? It's a felt need. Paul had that experience on the Damascus Road. He, he ran into a situation where Jesus said, you know what? This is it for you. Are, are y'all with me? Then the second thing is, there must be a collecting of evidence. If there's a felt need, you must have some, some evidence to support what you're feeling. So you have to look around and see, uh, uh, how can I supply this need? If there's something out there, I need it. There must be a collecting of evidence. Is this really... Uh, uh, Jesus, who is supposed to be the savior of the world. Is it really real? That's why, listen, listen now. This is hard, but it's true. That's why the Bible says, how shall they hear? See, you don't want to be preached to. But how do you collect evidence of a Jesus that you've never heard about? That's what I said earlier. There must be some evidence. And where do you get the evidence? Well, you know, I, I, I heard that preacher say, or I heard that brother, I heard that sister. It don't have to be a preacher. Y'all understand that. He used the term preacher because he's giving the word. But do you understand that when people talk to you, even when, when it's your parents or your friends or your family, and they try to tell you, don't do that. Now here's, uh, you know, <laughs> I shared this with my wife the other day in, in casual conversation, I told her, what people don't recognize, and I know you all probably do because you're real smart, people in their 20s and 30s set themselves up for their 50s and 60s. Notice I ain't saying nothing about your 40s. No, no, seriously, seriously. In your 20s and 30s, you set yourself up for your 50s and 60s. Huh? Okay. That's too deep for you. Those of you, just look around like nobody knows this, but those of you who are past 50, think about when you had your first health challenge. How old were you? I don't answer. Don't, 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 don't. Because in your 20s and 30s, you ate what you wanted to do. You, you drank whatever you wanted to drink. Slept with. Huh? Hung out with whomever. And all of that in your 20s and 30s when you were young and purdy and, and had all your energy. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, I act like I'm telling you something new. I'm probably telling some 18-year-old something new, but the rest of y'all, I'm telling you what's real. And every, listen to me, every failure or issue in your life today past 50 is the result. If you are smart, you can connect it. Now, you got to be mighty slow not to be able to connect those dots. You know, this is why I tell, now I'm off now, I'm off, I'm off now. I'm just going to tell you. This is why I tell people, you have got to be honest with young people. Stop lying. Stop, stop lying. You know what you did. Just go on, hey. Huh? Y'all don't want to hear me, I know. But I ain't going to stop just because you don't want to hear it. So, so here you are now, uh, and let's just say, I'm going to be nice to you and say that you didn't do anything bad. <laughs> but you ate your way into high blood pressure or diabetes. Hmm? But whatever you did, you're paying for it now. And you are still not able to tell people, don't do this. You still say, well, it's going to be all right. Don't, don't, don't worry. Yeah. That's why we have to tell people now. I know I'm off. That's why you have to tell young people, don't smoke. Don't drink. Come on. Get some sleep. Please tell them, get some sleep. You don't do anything else. Get some sleep. Who in the world decided that we should stay up till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning? That is the crazy, that's not even normal for a human being. And then you try to go to work the next day like somebody crazy. Yeah, okay, all right. I mean, all, all kinds of people business that name. to get off of this. <laughs> but my point was, that's why, I, oh, I, I got to give you a third one. I gave you two, right? <laughs> so we said there's a, a felt need, there's a collection of evidence, and the third one is probably the most difficult. And somebody said, what, 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 what would the third one be? It is simple this, making commitment. All right? Whatever you heard from the gospel that you believed, now you've got to make a commitment to do it. This is where people fall off the grid. They will not commit to do what they know is right. Now, somebody say, well, how do I know if it's right? Well, let me tell you how you know. If you are born again, and you are alive to God, then the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, so you will know it's right. If you are not alive to Christ, if you are dead spiritually, you will not know, and you cannot do what you do not know. 
That's why you can enter partly in, but you can never completely get in. Well, how long? Well, the time don't make it. Listen, this is the point. Everybody thinks that after a certain period of time, you are, you know, you're old saint now. I'm okay. You can be in church for 20 years and still not enter into the presence of God. Let me tell you something. One encounter with God lasts a lifetime. Oh, y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. One encounter with God lasts a lifetime. You will never forget what it's like to be in the presence of God. And once you are there, you will never want to leave it. So anytime you feel yourself pulling back, you, get, you push back in. All right? This is the problem is that when you no longer feel the pull, then you will never end. See, we don't understand that, you know, we go through this thing with the, the tabernacle. We understand the, pr the, the, the principle. God says, do it according to the pattern. The pattern says that you come in, you know, you make your sacrifice, clean yourself up because you've made the sacrifice. Now you go into the holy place, but not into the holy of holies. So you get into a, a holding pattern where you feel sanctified. Let me, let me try it on this side. You get into a holding pattern where you feel sanctified. That's when you start to do stuff that you think makes you spiritual. But if you've never entered into the Holy of Holies and been a witness to the Shekinah glory, in other words, once you have been bathed in the light of Christ, nothing in your life will ever be the same again. Your confession will be changed. Everything about you will be changed. You will be transformed. And it will be just what Romans 12 says, by the renewing of your mind. What do you mean by that, Pastor? It means that no longer will I want to sin. I will not want to sin. There will be no desire for sin in my life. And that means I will always seek to do what's right. I didn't say I'd always do right, but I'll always seek to do the right thing. I will always be propelled in the direction of righteousness. And see, what we're doing now is, 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 is we're still in that holding pattern where we, we look holy, we, we, we sound holy, but you can tell when, when you're truly holy, when you're truly sanctified, when you're set apart, when you're consecrated. The Bible says that when trouble comes, when trouble comes, I won't fall away. Amen. I, I, won't, I won't quit. I won't give up. I'm going to hang in there no matter what. And see, too many, too many times we get to the point where it looks like everything is just going perfect. You know, we get comfortable, relax. You forgot you're a soldier. You don't ever get so comfortable that you're not vigilant. Huh? You, you're always on guard for the tricks of the enemy. Because he, listen, he's always out there waiting for you to sleep. So there must be a commitment to do it. See, this is how we know that we're there. We're committed to do the work. We're committed to do the work. 
committed to do the work. See, faith, and, 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 and James makes the best case for faith. James says this. He says that if you have faith, but you can't do anything with it, you don't really have faith. See, because God, listen, he, he, and I think I gave you this last week. Well, let me give it to you again. On God's side, when God said he reached out and saved you, the Bible says that he saved you and you are kept for eternity. Huh? But we also told you on man's side, on man's side, that you can disobey. You can walk away because the same God that gave you all things gave you free will. And because you have free will, you are free to disobey. Amen. Hmm? So God is always the same God, and he has the power to keep you only if you want to be kept. But you got to want it. And that's why you can't, that's why you cannot, quote, quit and give up. That's why you got to stay in the fight, no matter what it feels like. If you're having a bad day, then you better go ahead and fight with the day. See, I'm going to make this a good day no matter what. You're going to have to do something about it. You can't just say, well, you know, that's the way things are. No, nothing is ever just that way. No, you got to fight. Every obstacle is designed to bring out the fight in you. Every obstacle, every issue that goes against you is designed to bring out the fight in you. <sighs> what was I talking about? <laughs> Get to talking about fighting, boy. <laughs> So verse 23, I got get to get through this. Verse 23 says this. It says that we need to have hope. Now see, <laughs> faith is now, hope is future. So if you want to divine, define hope, call it future faith. <laughs> you, 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 you follow what I'm saying? If you want, you call it future faith. So the Bible says that, that we need to hold fast. Look, it says uh, let us, let me read it to you first of all. Let me, let me, I'm in Ephesians. I better do this. It says let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I love this confession. That means that at some point in time, let's go back about three weeks. At some point in time, your mouth and God's mouth should be lined up. Huh? At some point in time, what God is saying should be what you are saying. What God is saying should be what you are saying. So when we hold on to that confession, whatever God says then that gives us hope. What's that hope for? So that we can believe that God is a faithful God. He who promised is faithful. But just because I tell you something don't mean anything. See, 
you're going to believe me when I, when, I, when I have a relationship with you, when I have a track record with you, when I have a, 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 a kind of, of, of understanding who I am and who you are, then you believe when I say it. But until then, you don't believe anything I say. It, come on now. That's why, you know, if we were skipped over to verse 25 where it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Anybody else? Together. <laughs> don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Because if you don't come together, you can't establish relationships. Y'all understand? You can't establish any kind of relationships if you never come together. Amen. The only way you know love is when you get in a crowd. You don't assemble yourselves with other folk, you will never know whether you love them or not. So then, if we are gods, he holds on to us. If we are gods, he holds on to us. He, he's not going to let us fall. He, he does, he's not that kind of God. Amen? So, here's what the Bible says. Believers ought to consider how we should spur one another toward love or arouse, and I think we told you this last week, uh, uh, paroxysmus. There ought to be a, a, a kind of challenging or inciting or, or, or pushing us toward love. Now, somebody said, and last week I, I got into it, but I didn't have a chance to really get deep into it. How do you incite someone to love? <laughs> well, y'all know how it works in the world. Don't look at me like that. I say y'all know how it works in the world. But now that you are spiritually alive, guess what? Works the same way. Exactly. I guess I had talked to the brothers. Now what I'm saying is that somebody, somebody incited you to buy that house, didn't they? Average brother knows that if you if you got one room and it's got heat and air, that's all the house you ever need. <laughs> but but somebody incited you to get two or three, four or more rooms, right? For what? That's funny, it really. <laughs> so the Bible says this. Here, here, here's two things you need to remember. Two things to remember. Christians uh, need to simulate each other in two areas. One, first one is love. The Bible says love, not an emotion, but a choice. It's not an emotion, 
but a choice to act regardless of feeling. To act regardless of feeling. To act regardless of feeling. That's why the Bible says love is a command. I have to do it because God says to do it. It ain't got nothing to do about how I feel or how you feel. Are we together here? I still don't think people understand that because everybody always talks about their feelings. And you all know most of, most of you understand uh, uh, that your feelings are basically uh, psychological and has to do with uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and, uh, which has nothing to do with God. You know, see, this is, uh, uh, <laughs> any of y'all taking psychology? You know a little bit about fraud? Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that's, that psychiatrists and psychologists teach, and this is a fact, you, you, you take this to the bank is that all your problems stem from your past. They always want you to go back to fix you. Y'all understand that? They always want you to go back to fix you. Here's the problem. If you're born again, how far back do you go? Okay. Well, I didn't say I had to answer. I'm giving you the question. <laughs> what I'm saying to you is this, is that that's why people will tell you it's because of your parents. It's because of your socialization. It's because you were born this color. I always go back, back. But your problem is, Right now. You're going back to yesterday to try to figure out what's wrong with you today. And I'll guarantee you, you're going to be in trouble tomorrow. What that mean? Because you spent the day working on yesterday and you ain't do anything about tomorrow. So be careful how far back you go. And I heard uh, somebody say, Jesus, as far back as you need to go. If you're born again, I don't care how many doctors, how many psychiatrists, how many therapists come in your life, don't, don't ever go any further than Jesus. If he, don't, if he can't fix it, stop right there. Because the other fellow going to mess you up. Okay, so the Bible says then, uh, love is not an emotion, but a choice to act regardless of feelings. But then the second thing is good deeds. Good deeds. We ought to be uh, uh, pushed to good deeds. That's work done for the good of others, attracting them to Christ. That's work done for the good of others, attracting them to Christ. And see, this is the question you have to ask yourself. 
What have I done? What have I done to cause people to want to come to my Christ? What have I done? And see, most of us can tell you what somebody did to us, but what have we done to bring anyone to Christ? What, what, what have I done? The pastor, you understand, well, my life has just been a mess, and I've been trying to get myself together. No, don't nobody care about you getting yourself together. I don't mean that ugly. But if, you, if you're doing something for somebody else, you'll get yourself together. If you were doing it for somebody else, you will get yourself together. You know what? Sometimes you will come out of the house when you would have been locked in there for three, four days because somebody needs you, so you'll come out. Hmm? Y'all, everybody been there, right? You would do something for somebody else that you will not do for yourself. That's what the Bible says. Love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. If I'm doing something for somebody else, it makes me feel better. And look, guess what? It energizes me. If somebody's stranded along the road and, and they got a flat tire or something, you may not have any money at all. But you can stand there and talk to them while they change the tire. You may not have any strength to change the tire yourself, but you got time. Y'all understand this? We miss so many opportunities to be a blessing to other people. All right? And I'm out of time, so let me try to summarize this. I sure hope we got somewhere. I don't know if we did or not. Okay, y'all act like you did. Well, don't fool me. I'm an old man. That's what people do with old men. You know, they're fooling me out. <laughs> I'm the only old man in here. <laughs> Good job, good job. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Y'all get that later. <laughs> good, I tell you. So the Bible says this, do not <laughs> forsake meeting together because being a Christian requires constant stimulation and imitation. What? Stimulation and imitation. 
Okay. Bible says that when Jesus came on the earth, the first thing the Bible says about him, the first thing the Bible said about Jesus when he started his ministry is that Jesus went about, you find this in Mark, doing good, doing good, and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He went about doing good. So we ought to imitate that. And if we're born again, we should stimulate others to do good so that they can imitate. Got that? That's why we assemble ourselves together so that we can talk about what's good, what's powerful in the kingdom. See, we spend more time in church talking about bad stuff and wrong stuff. That's why we say when we get that sin, we keep talking about sin. Well, we all know about sin. We, all, we do. We do. We do. But there's another side. So we need to turn the page. Amen. All right. Let me see if I can read this little summary. Remember that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And the Bible says because he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Christians, therefore, ought to be just like him. Fellowship with God should never be selfish. And here's the thing that's most difficult. And I can tell you this is difficult for every pastor I know and probably every pastor on the face of the earth. What's difficult for us is to fellowship with other bodies of Christians. Pastors are territorial. Selfish. Amen. They don't want you hanging with no other pastors. Because you may leave. I, on the other hand, think that we ought to learn how to comprehend with all saints. And if you find someone that you love more, you ain't love me anyway. <laughs> Y'all understand that? If you find somebody you love more, God say, more power to you. Amen? I will tell you this. The grass always looks greener on the other side. But most of y'all never bought any grass seed. get that. No, 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 no. Yeah, anybody ever bought any? No, you think you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen 100% grass seed? It always says what? 70%, 80%. Guess what the other is? What? Weed. What? Weed. Not the other kind of weed, but <laughs> <laughs> No, you got to be good. You got look, I 
I know my audience. Pastor, you mean there's weed in that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no grass seed comes without weeds in it. When you plant it, guess what's in there? Mm-hmm. So when you find that church that's perfect, it's only going to be 70 to 80 percent. As this one. Yeah, about 30 percent of y'all. <laughs> need, need some roundup. <laughs> I'm so glad I, we, we can laugh. I'm telling <laughs> But the idea is this. The idea is this. You all understand that we are going on to perfection. Amen. And where else can we laugh like this and have a good time? This, this is the greatest comedy club in the world. It is, church. If, you, if, if, if your problems weren't so personal, Oh, boy, we could tell stories. My God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because we do some stuff. And we asked the same question that I asked earlier in the match. I don't know how we got in. I, I don't know how that happened. Hmm? I, I, I was just walking down the street, and that woman's lip just fell on mine. I don't, know, I don't know how to. <laughs> I got tangled up trying to get off me, you know. <laughs> no, we, we come up with some stuff. We, we come up with some stuff. Come on, stand up. I want to talk to you while you. <laughs>